Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast here with Nick Fulweiler and Peter Bell. How you doing, Peter? I am doing pretty good. It's Friday. I'm I'm excited. Nice. It's another fresh day of grace and mercy. And it's Friday here, but you guys will hear this on Monday. That's right. You just confused a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so today's episode, we're going to go through salvation. We're going to really break down what it means to receive salvation, what it means to uh, have the need for salvation. Um, so we'll just jump right into it. I got yeah. some good questions. I feel like it's a really good um, common asked questions um, from even me personally. Um, why do you think, I mean, just before we get into it, why do you think this is such a huge topic that you think we should talk about? Well, I mean, it's it's gigantic to go from being, um, you know, not saved to being saved and knowing uh, what you need to do, if anything, to be saved. And once you're saved, knowing that you have confidence to that you are saved mm-hmm. um, and what it means, how sin fits in to all of that. So I actually... I actually did just go through Google and just type in salvation in Christianity. And really, in Christianity, salvation is being saved, human beings from sin and its consequences, which is really the term you're going to break down is justification. Yeah. And um, that's the theological way of putting it. Um, so with that said, you know, starting with my first question how could you define salvation for us? Um, yeah, so I would point people first to uh, our episode on the Garden of Eden and the Fall to understand um, <clears throat> the nature of sin and, and the nature of our broken relationship with Yahweh, with God, uh, starting with Adam coming down to us. But salvation is uh, fully the act of God through Christ in the power of the Spirit uh, we transgressed the law that was given to us, both in the garden, uh, at Mount Sinai with Moses, and then kind of repeated through biblical history. And the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, took on the burden of our sin, took on uh, the yoke of the law, performed obedience, was perfectly righteous throughout his entire life on the cross he took on our disobedience our record under the law and through his resurrection gave us his record under the law which is what allows us uh, that entrance into heaven that entrance into uh, what you can call like the the garden of eden after death so we see the garden of eden pre-death being that perfect relationship the dwelling of god and man and that is what we have to look forward to because of this salvation through Jesus. So it's salvation is 
the obedience of Christ given to us. Not just the decision, but the obedience of Christ given to us under the law. So was salvation completed the minute he died on the cross? Salvation was completed, technically speaking, from the beginning. So it's, there, was, there was never a time when man could not be saved by a mediator or by looking towards a mediator coming in the future. So it was temporal in the sense that it happened in history with Jesus Christ's death. But we know that God is outside of time, so he applies his salvation to all before and after. Right. And that was one of my questions that I, I could jump right to, but it was kind of based on how were people in the Old Testament before Jesus' first coming, mm -hmm. how were they saved and going to heaven? Because that was on a human timeline in history yeah. before he died on the cross. Yeah, that's that's a huge question. I think a lot of churches and a lot of people, a lot of pastors have a hard time with this on how were the saints pre-Christ saved compared to those who were after Christ who are saved now. Um, but I think a, a big part of this is like what I just said is understanding, kind of starting with Genesis 3.15, where uh, Yahweh tells Adam and Eve that's, uh, one who is coming, who will be your seed, who will crush you. Like he will, he will bruise his heel, but your seed will crush the head of the serpent. And so there's kind of that preliminary, that seed of the gospel there given to Adam and Eve saying, one who is coming will take on this burden. Uh, reiterated to, to Abraham in the Old Testament saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. Uh, I will surely multiply you. And that's kind of a, a foreshadow of Gentiles being grafted in with Jews, with the chosen race in the Old Testament. But uh, it is reiterated throughout the Old Testament that salvation is by justification, by faith. And that's, that's it alone. And that's what he tells Abraham is because you have believed, um, I am saving you and I'm saving those after you. And if we believe in any other sense of they were saved by the law in the Old Testament, and we are now saved by grace in the New Testament, then we divorce what I think the gospel is in the Old Testament. So people are not saved any differently. Like I said, there's Old Testament believers were saved by their faith in the coming mediator because they saw earthly imperfect mediators. They saw David, they saw Solomon, they saw Moses, they saw Abraham, they saw all these imperfect mediators, and then the prophets telling them as well. And then we now have seen and have read of the mediator, and we are saved by that same mediator. So they looked forward to the saving of the mediator, or saving by the mediator, and we look backwards to the same mediator and are saved by that mediator. So saved in the same way. Saved in the same way, uh, but it almost seems like we're kind of lucky <laughs> knowing on this side of history who jesus really is versus just being like oh someday there will be a messiah um so yeah that's true i mean hebrews talks about that the end of hebrews uh in the new testament talks about the saints in the old are, are jealous of us today because we have the fullness of the revelation not a different revelation not a different salvation plan but we have the fullness of the plan that they were given in promise. 
Yeah, we know today more than a lot of prophets did. Yeah, it's a fuller vision. They had a sketch. So mm -hmm. people can imagine like a crime scene investigation where there's a sketch of the body. You don't know what the body looks like quite yet, but you know the body's there. And then now we've seen that body. We've seen that physicality. We've seen that word both in the flesh and in testimony. So it's, they saw the sketch, the very same substance, but we've seen the full revelation of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be kind of a controversial question. Uh, yeah. Meaning that, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the only way towards salvation for anyone yep. in the world. Uh, past, present, and future. No matter where you live, what culture you're from, uh, what religion you may grow up in, but we really believe as uh, Christians that there's no other way into heaven other than through Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way is in the road, the, the way towards the truth, uh, and the life. So he's, he's the life giver, and he is the life himself. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there has to be a vehicle towards the Father. Because we can't do this on our own, because we can't do this perfectly, because we can't do this at all, we need somebody to bring us to the Father as the priests in the Old Testament would bring sacrifices on behalf of the people. Without that, there was no atonement for sins because it prefigured what Christ does. And again, that's, that's outlined in Hebrews where we need sacrifice, we need our sins dealt with in order for us to be perfectly justified through the mediator in the presence of Yahweh um, by the power of the Spirit. And other religions, you'll notice there's a lot of law kind of put into it. So Buddhism is still kind of a, a law religion. It's you have to be perfectly content. You have to let, uh, let all the worries of the world be um, gone from your from your uh, from your conscience, you have to be perfectly content inside of of all temptation, and that's that's kind of like their dogma, that's their doctrine. Within um, Islam, with Muslims, it's living a perfect life, living as close to a life as Muhammad did on this earth, as he prophe uh, prophesied for us or for for Muslims. Um, every other religion speaks of you yourself can do this outside of a mediator which is why Jesus stresses, and we see in the Old Testament that they stress, the only way towards perfection is a mediator who's done it for you. So it's actually the most freeing. The fact that Jesus is the only way is freeing because it means we don't have to do it. We can't do it, so it's been done for us. The next question I have is, it's pretty popular with critics and unbelievers and uh, atheists and everyone. Um, so what about places and people in the world that never heard of Jesus, never had the chance to hear about Jesus? Um, would our best guess to be chalk it up that God knew who was born and where they were going to be born and, and they were not chosen to be saved in the first place? I mean, that seems kind of harsh answer, but I don't really know how hmm. else to go about it. Yeah, this is, this is a hard question. I mean, this is, this is one where a lot of it, we just kind of have to leave it up to the perfect knowledge and perfect plan of God. Um, we, we like we know two things um, well. We know that there uh, 
every human being who's ever been born outside of the perfect one, Jesus Christ, every human being has sin, has original sin, is fallen under the law. So everyone, regardless of who it is, deserves eternal condemnation because of their sin. So we have to kind of keep that primary, knowing like, even though we were born in the context where we heard the message, we are still in and of ourselves sinful human beings under the burden of the law. So anybody else still is under the same condemnation that we were in. We just had the message preached to us and we um, believe because of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sins and convicted us um, of unrighteousness and, and gave us the ability to believe. And so we have to hold that intention with those who haven't heard or will never hurt, like will never hear. Um, I think a lot of it too, like we have to pray that there's missionaries out there. We have to pray that there's things we don't know um, that God in his plan has set in motion to assure everyone that he wants to be saved will be saved in the end. There's nobody, regardless of how remote the tribe, of how far away from society they are, of how few believers there are in the area, there's nobody outside of the grip and outside of the plan of God. And so it's part of it's like, I can't answer because I don't think anybody can answer. Um, we have to assume that those who are being saved, regardless of where they are, regardless of their background, everyone who will be saved will be saved. So it may sound like a cop-out answer, but it's one of those things we just, we have to assume God has this, God has planned this, and God will execute this. Yeah, I think taking it back to just Scripture and what the Bible makes clear is that anybody that is chosen, that's part of his flock, he will not forget. Like, no one fall, nobody's going to fall through the cracks. No. So however you want to take that, uh, the, the, the answer at the end is that uh, it doesn't matter if you're born on some remote island and um, in the year 500 yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or you're in North Korea or China or something or here in the U.S. Like nobody is going to fall through yep. the cross yep. that he already yeah. is destined to be saved. So I think there's even too, even in our assumption that this question uh, is the, like the bane or like the the one rock inside the Christian shoe that they can't answer. But I also think it assumes that we know what's happening in those tribes. We know that people are not being sent to those tribes um, or that like that those tribes are beneath us intellectually or beneath us in any ways. But I mean, they're no different than us sinfully. They're no different than us under the law. Um, I think we have to know that we are all on the same field and that field is we are all unrighteous. And he's going to save those people regardless, no matter what, whatever yep. the means are. And he lets us play in that game. So even with this podcast, some of the motivation in that is we might be able to, through technology, reach areas of the world that we just wouldn't have been able to before. So oh, yeah. it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, he does, we're, he's not needing us by any means. Uh, no. It's just another vehicle as we are part of his church to do what he tells us to just to yeah. 
spread. And even 500 years ago, people, those who knew of the Americas would have looked at us and said, how are we going to reach them? How have they been reached in the past? And we got reached. The U.S. was an unreachable place for 1,500 years. For a long time, post Christian message, and we still got reached. Mm-hmm. We're no different. Yep. Um, yeah, and I mean, I was going to ask the next question, but one more plug into that is we all, no matter what, who you are, where you're born, when you're born, have the same God-shaped hole in your heart. Mm-hmm. So we either recognize that and it's filled with the Holy Spirit and it satisfies us, or you look towards world means and keep trying to fit a square peg through a round hole and it never satisfies. Um, so we all are born with that, that desire to fill it. Uh, obviously not everybody does though. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, as uh, John Calvin said in his institutes, we're all idol factories. We worship something. It's either we worship the sun, we worship the clouds, we worship the air, or we worship the one true God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's only one true God that points us to salvation, so it's Jesus. So we just yep. need to pray for everybody. Um, so how is one clearly, definely saved? I, how much in that moment? Uh, yeah. I struggled with this for a while because here's the, here's the thing. Like at the end of the day, I know that I am saved and that even for a while was unclear. Cause I was like, what if I think I am, <laughs> but I'll yeah. get to the question later. But my main question right now is um, how do you know for sure mm-hmm. when you are clearly saved and how much of that required it? Um, you know, is it, two tablespoons of belief and a (laughs) teaspoon of faith or like, is there a measurement? Um, How do we know? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a huge question. I know like we've struggled with this. You struggle with this. I've struggled with this. I think all believers struggle with this and it's assurance. It's how do I know at the moment that I say, yes, I believe that that will continue to be so, or Mm -hmm. that it was enough for it to be so that the justification has occurred. Because we know one thing, when justification occurs, it does not reverse. Uh, when you are pronounced guiltless at the, the courtroom in front of God the, God, the judge, that is firm and that does not change. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He does not reverse his decision. But that also doesn't mean that in and of ourselves, in our own minds, in our own hearts, that we don't struggle with assurance that we don't look at that and say like, well, he doesn't know of how many sins that I've, I've committed after my, my confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so again, what I want to go to is some of our confessions. And so the Westminster confession of faith chapter 18 and section four. So it's title is of assurance of grace and salvation. So I think it's pretty applicable to this. And this is really short. It says true believers <coughs> may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, or intermitted, which is just, it comes and it goes, as by negligence and preserving it, by falling into some special sin, which, ruin, which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, something hard that comes in, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance, so his 
gracious favor in our sight and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light yet are they not never so utterly destitute of that seed of god and life of faith that love of christ and the brethren that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty out of which by the operation of the spirit this assurance may in due time be revived and by the which in the meantime they are supported for utter from utter despair some of that's a little bit archaic um, language but what they're saying is it comes and it goes what we can have trust in is it's not the the quantity of our faith it's not how much we believe it's not how hard we believe in the savior it's the seed it's the most infinitesimally small portion of our faith that is the justifying portion of our faith when jesus says if you have faith like a mustard seed he's referring to this the smallest seed that they knew of in that area most of the people knew of in that area was the mustard seed and there's some conjecture yes there were smaller seeds in jerusalem in judea there were definitely smaller seeds, but of that specific area, the most well-known small seed was a mustard seed. He's literally saying it is not the incredible nature of your faith. It is the object of your faith, the tiniest portion of your faith in the Savior that justifies you. And even though I or you, anybody listening to this, may struggle, the very fact that you struggle shows that you are justified shows that you are saved it is not wavering in the faith that you should be worried about it's not wavering in the faith that you should be worried about when you struggle with sin when you struggle with all that stuff that is the very indication that justification has occurred yeah it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're even if you're even consciously struggling and asking mm-hmm questions it's proof that you already came to that justification yep um as hard as it i mean that's and that's really really hard that there are sometimes that you or i or anybody else listening is really struggling in the faith but we can have assurance based i mean off that confession um through scripture that though we uh day-to-day struggle god has justified his saints god has justified you and he will one day glorify you there is no question about that mm-hmm. and once you're justified there's nothing on in heaven earth below the earth that can nope away from his grip so just i do have confidence and that's what made me feel better about learning justification sanctification glorification is like yeah. once I truly reach justification which isn't me reaching it and I don't do anything after arrest. I didn't do anything before or after. Yeah. He literally feels like, you know, I'm drowning and he pulled me out of the water. And, yep. uh, and once even I- more so than you were drowning, we were dead in the water. We were dead bony carcass at the bottom of the sea. Mm-hmm. He gripped us and he made us alive and brought us out. Right. So I think a lot of people read even that parable Jesus talks about as somebody throwing seed on the ground and some of it falls on really good soil and grows up really strong roots and stays uh, forever. And some of it goes into like uh, really surface level soil and is good at first. It doesn't hold good roots and dies. And then some of it goes on concrete, doesn't do anything. Um, So some, I, I know that like, 
even a lot of um, believers will think, well, I hope that I'm not one of those plants, one of those seeds that found surface level soil and I will be a good Christian or have feel like I have good faith for a while and then it dies off. So that was something that went through my mind at one point in time as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's like we talked about in the last podcast is what is the, what is the, what do the words say? And it says nothing about the action of the seed. It says nothing about what the seed does. It says what the sower does and what the soil does. And both of those are done by the farmer. The farmer is the one who makes sure that the soil is strong. The farmer is the one who makes sure that he's scattering the seeds in exactly the place that they have to go to. The seeds just fall where they might, but the seed doesn't do anything. So I think as a lot of Christians, we assume like we have something to do with where we're placed, with with, um, the soil that we're in. But that is, we can trust as believers that we have been placed in the strong soil that will continue to bear fruit. Mm, yeah, I think a lot of people confuse it thinking that they're the gardener they're yep. the, or they're the farmer. And it really is Jesus is the, right? Yep. Yeah. God is the farmer and the soil is Christ. The soil is the, yeah. is the one that we grow through from. Yep. Great. Great. Some people have their deep roots in Christ and some people uh, don't. They may know of Christ. They may even say they love him, but they cherry pick who he is and they make him his own make up make up a fake christ yeah <laughs> some yeah. people probably deny him all together yeah yeah and it's and it's it's hard to grasp because we feel like we have to do so much and have this intense crazy faith to be able to move mountains but all he's asking is even if you have the tiniest possible root compared to somebody else that is still justifying faith as much as somebody else with a deeper root he doesn't discriminate between how deep your root is he just asks that there's a root Mm -hmm. there's another part in the bible where it's that it's the woman who's she a leper she's really sick and she's uh was she even she might have even been a gentile but she uh yeah she wasn't even uh from israel and she just merely wanted to get close enough to Jesus to touch his cloak like a thread. And she had faith enough to think if I can just get close enough to just all I deserve uh, is just grab a thread. And he was like, blessed are you, you have more faith than. Mm -hmm. And what he's not saying that is he's not comparing her great faith to small faith. He's actually comparing very little faith to no faith. That's why yeah. he's saying your faith is great, not because it's comparatively great, but because it's there compared to no faith. It's there, and it's kind of like um, a gaslight in a uh, fireplace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 always even if it's little, it's there. Yep. And one day it will burst into huge flames. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, if it doesn't even, if your fireplace doesn't operate on a gaslight at all, or your oven, or whatever <laughs> yeah. you think of, uh, then you just weren't made to have that gaslight at all. So there's no even interest uh, mm-hmm. to to have it. It's 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 weird. It's hard to understand. But hopefully, 
it's making more sense to you guys and us at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you already answered this question. Once you're saved, is it possible for you to lose your justification and become nope. not saved again? So it's no, it's no. And if you did become non-saved, it's because you weren't actually justified. Yep. There was no justification um, in, in the first place. Yeah, so. salvation is a, is a, um, a law ordinance it's something that is within a courtroom so first century greeks or first century romans would have seen the word for save in the new testament as very similar to legal language so it's once you're pronounced not guilty that can't change we still kind of have that within our constitutional system within the law where there's double jeopardy once you're presumed or once you're declared not guilty you can't be tried for that same case again and be found guilty it is written in stone and it's the same thing of our faith it's written in stone mm -hmm. um i remember after a sermon a number of years ago still it's just always been something that uh was on me has been like i am like 99.9 .9 sure i and i know you kind of already answered this but yeah, yeah but i was like but my huge fear is that I'm not, that I, I think I'm going to go to heaven and then I will get there and I'll be devastatedly shocked to find yeah. out that I'm not going to make it in. Uh, yeah, I think that's a huge fear for a lot of people. Yeah, and I remember the pastor like pointed to a verse, I can't remember what it was, uh, <laughs> maybe I should, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think you've helped me kind of give me closure on that a little bit. Yeah, there will be no, not jokes, there, there will be no surprises in the courtroom of heaven. Okay. I don't think you coming in saying, oh, I'm saved. I don't, I, I don't think God is a God of surprises. God is a God of law, and he's a God of grace. Um, when he's justified, he's not going to say, like, you know what, even though you thought you were saved during this life, you're not really saved. Um. And again, that comes towards sanctification and from justification, knowing the difference between, between those two terms. You being more holy throughout this life is not what makes you savable. It is the justification that allowed you to be more and more holy that saves you. In one, in one moment, one becomes justified. For a lifetime, one is being sanctified. And for eternity, one is glorified yeah that's i mean that's a humongous like what you just said is a humongous thing where justification is the very base of everything else it's the foundation which the house is built upon mm -hmm. um, the house can't be built if justification is not present and sanctification not only being making you holier it also i think makes you more aware because you are closer and closer to holiness you're closer and closer to perfection it makes you more aware of your sin. The more that you see a righteous God, the more that you experience that righteous God, the more you're aware of your sin. And we see that again, like we referenced before with Isaiah 6. Isaiah is a justified saint in Isaiah 6. And when he goes before the Lord of hosts, he says, sinful am I in the sinful people that I am among. He still recognizes his sin and he recognizes it even more in the presence of holiness. So mm -hmm. on this side of heaven, sanctification is also going to expose a lot of sins and i think we 
naturally assume that means we are wavering. But it also, outside of that, it's, no, we've actually been introduced to holiness and you can't be introduced to holiness. You can't be introduced to perfection if you are not justified. True. Yeah. Once you're, once you become sanctified, I mean, once you're justified and you're in sanctification uh, during your earthly life, obviously you're still going to sin. Your repentance is going to be more intense. Because yeah, just notice more. I mean, even if, even if it's not more intense, even the fact that you know that you are a sinner and that you fall short of the glory of God, even the tiniest knowledge of that is still proof mm -hmm. of your sanctification. Again, it's not the intent. I think people get this so wrong which causes a lot of anxiety in us. It's not the intensity of what you feel. It's a fact that you feel. Oh, okay. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Well, you're not, um, you're not cuddling up to sin anymore no. and loving living in sin. Like, yeah. if you're loving to live in sin that you know is sin and you know is totally unholy, but you have no... Um, it, you have no bad feelings about it you're probably it's probably a good sign that you you need to get to justification <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, you need to um get to that first point but if if you say you're already justified and you're just not repenting of anything um you're probably not i mean yeah I and it's this oh, is hard and it, this goes to romans 6 and romans 7 where Paul is responding to critics saying, uh, shall I sin so that grace may abound more and more? And Paul says, by no means. And in Romans 7, he's, I mean, he's probably speaking about Israel and their understanding under the law that they see this law. Um, but again, salvation is not justification plus bad feelings about sin. Right. It is justification and justification alone. And then that works itself in you will feel bad about sin, but not because you want to be a better person, but because you see holiness in comparison to sin. Yeah. Your eyes are opened. Uh, you have a personal revelation of, yeah. of what's truly from God, what's God and what's the world. I know. I remember uh, this kind of goes into my next question, but yeah, know, this is very relevant. It's, when I truly knew that I was actually now to the point of justification, I remember everything just in the world seemed different. Like mm -hmm. looking outside, the colors even seemed different. I don't know. Just I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. even watching TV, like things just popped out. They weren't. Um, I, I could tell more. I was more sensitive, I guess, mm -hmm. to reality is a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, that is going to be actually uh, segue into this next question I have. Um, is there a clear defining moment in your life when you become saved and everything drastically changes or like switching on a light switch, or is it a gradual process and then hard to know when that moment was? And before you answer, the reason why I ask is um, <laughs> when people say, when are you saved? I don't, I, I'll be really honest to everyone. I don't know the actual moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And that's different for other people. Some people are like, I knew the exact moment. Um, because the thing is, is I, I grew up thinking I was, and then I kind of drifted away for a while. 
and then I had a reawakening. <laughs> God brought me back and yeah. said, it was kind of the prodigal son uh, story in the Bible really hits yeah. home. I feel like I had uh, a relationship with them when I was younger. And then I think I felt like I went away for a while, was uh, dumb and squandered it. Yeah. Have a relationship with them. And then by grace alone with nothing I did, I didn't like him or anything. And he brought me back to him. Yeah. So I don't know if it's when I was brought back to him is when I was saved or was I saved when I was a kid. Um, that's a different, I mean, everyone's got their own story, but what yeah. Do you yeah. I'd, to your question, I'd say yes. I wouldn't say it's either one. I'm sure there are some people um, who had a, like an instant revelation of oh my gosh i'm a believer now and there are some who are like i don't i don't really know how to pinpoint this mm -hmm. um but again it's like it's fantastic if you have a clear kind of breaking point and everything was new um but we can't make that the condition of our salvation it is it's the byproducts of our salvation but not and i think i mean it's again it's why i was like not hurting but i was questioning a lot of things for a long time because i had heard from so many different people like everything has to change and all your dispositions have to change and all your desires have to change and you have to see the world in an entirely different way and it's that's not the gospel the gospel is jesus christ's obedience on our behalf under the law because we failed it is not now you must live this way now you must see the world this way it is as simple as it gets. And as reformed Christians were accused of being, well, you got too much grace in your system. I was like, well, the reason why we got too much grace in our system is we got too much sin and too much law in our hearts. And we have to moderate our law with the grace of the gospel. Um, so it sometimes sounds like, oh man, you can do whatever you want. And it's like, well, like the gospel is like, I didn't do anything. I still can't do anything. And I forever can't do anything kind of doesn't matter how I feel. It's what is true is true of me. And like, I like what you said, it's, I have new sensitivities because I've experienced holiness, mm -hmm. but it doesn't make me see the world, I guess, in a different way. Like I don't, I guess I personally don't see colors differently or, or everything differently. It's like, I now have this understanding of holiness and I have this understanding of ridiculous gratitude like you know what lord i don't like i don't see things sometimes differently but i still know that you have saved me yeah regardless of anything i guess that was my terrible metaphor <laughs> i didn't mean <laughs> a while. i was like huh blue is green now or anything like yeah. that <laughs> yeah. green is greener um it was yeah more of like, i think i was trying to describe that i was just way more yeah you're just in tuned or sensitive yeah i guess yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. but that like I think we just, we have to be, we have to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day and have to remind ourselves it is not your feelings that make you right or your feelings that give you assurance. It is everything behind and causing your feelings. Right. That is what justifies you. And it's not this victorious life of faith. It is beaten down, downtrodden, every day feeling like you can't get rid of the sin justification. Oh, yeah. I think that might even be a more apt description of the Christian life. It is, it is not a victorious life. But yeah. it's because we have a victorious Savior and we have somebody who's coming again 
to bring us to that victorious life. Yeah. Uh, justification is really him rescuing you. And yeah. sanctification is a beautiful struggle through a lifetime. <laughs> and glorification is when we're going to be completely perfected in heaven. Yep. yep. In yep. new bodies and new see him face to face it's actually going to be more reality than earth yeah and that is that heaven is the reality earth is the mirror of reality yeah doesn't mean it's not real and true and sensible it just means what we experience here is a mere picture of what's going to be experienced in heaven mm -hmm. um god knew that Everyone, like the best way to say is predestined us to yeah. be that we're going to be saved before the beginning of time. So this is a, this is a, uh, a hot issue, hot theological chicken or the egg kind of question. Um, and this is really what I kind of learned here uh, within the last couple of years is it's the Calvinistic versus the Arminian view. Yeah. And um, I know I didn't say Armenian or anything like that. <laughs> Arminian, not Armenian. I mean, yeah, it's not the Kardashian family. <laughs> it's not the people. It's the, the yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, uh, so so um, Reformed Christianity is Calvinistic, right? Yeah. And that is believing that before the beginning of time, because God is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, and all-knowing, he had to have known, like we said, who was going to be saved and when they're going to be saved before time even happened. Yeah, it's God did it. Jesus saved us. Ezekiel, oh, I think it's 37. That's Valley of Dry Bones. Um, where he tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these people to live. And Ezekiel's like, I can't. You got to do this. And so he does it through Ezekiel. And then Ephesians 1 and 2, um, by grace you have been saved, not by works, but by faith. Um, yeah, I mean, the basic question is, does regeneration, does the newness of your heart precede faith or does faith precede newness of your heart? And as reformed believers, we say God makes our heart new and then we believe that's, I guess, boiling it down to one statement. Right. And the alternative view is, is we have faith and then we are given a new heart. Got it. So that's like saying somehow we have to muster up our own faith. And then yeah. out of a dead heart, you have to muster up your own faith, which as reformed believers, we don't think is possible. Right. Yeah. Cause we're not just like injured hearts. I think sometimes that gets mistaken. It's not just, we have injuries to our heart, but we can just muster enough. It's no, we got dead hearts. Right. It's dead. It's there's no life to be. Yeah, not dead, like, with potential, it's dead, dead. Right. Absolutely dead. Yeah, so that's the difference. Okay. Um, here's another big question. So it yeah. kind of stems yeah. off of that. Uh, we already know, before I ask the question, preface this, we already know, everyone can agree that not everybody in the history of the world, past, present, and future, is going to be going to heaven, right? As far as we know, yeah. Right, you're right. Um, I think that's the consensus. So why, because even Jesus talked a lot about, you know, there's a lot of people that won't make it, you know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. 
and that so it seems pretty clear uh so why does god even allow people he already knows their fate of not being saved to even be born initially that seems really cruel <laughs> um yeah that's true because the alternative would be that every single person would go to heaven we know we're pretty confident that's the truth that's not the truth not yeah. heaven. so it's kind of like we're sitting here being like wow there's people he knows he's creating to be born he knows their name he knows everything about him but he's like yep i already know that they're not going to have the holy spirit in them yeah yeah that's that's hard um again we have to go back to scripture what does scripture say about all of this stuff and who god is and because as people i think we want to see our own version of justice and our own version of justice is not the justice of god the justice of god is all sinners who transgress should go to hell because they cannot be in my presence in the holy kingdom um, with the garden of eden to come but so we'd have to look at, I mean, Romans 9, 19 talks about this. It says, therefore, you will say to me, why then does he, does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? On the contrary, O man, who are you who answers back to God? Well, what is molded, say to the one who molded it, why have you made me like this? Or does a potter not have authority over the clay to make from the same lump a vessel that is for honorable use and one is for dishonorable use? And then verse 23 it answers this, and he did so in order that he can make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy that prepared beforehand for glory, and also demonstrate his wrath to make known his power, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. The only thing we can say is it glorifies God. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to us, but we do not have the mind of God, and it may sound like a cop-out answer, but I think if we go beyond that, we go beyond the scope of scripture mm -hmm. and scripture says he does what he does because it's what glorifies him. Cause this universe exists for his glory. Well, going back to our previous episode, the fact that he even created you and he didn't have to, to be any more perfect is just great to, to actually allow you to have a life and be born. So that even if you're not going to be saved that alone, is just grace to give you life and when he's creating people um if everyone was just automatically um like you said if everyone was automatically going to be saved and go to heaven there would be less of a distinction between good and evil yeah there'd be no distinction yeah, there'd be no distinction. It would be back to, and then it would water down the uh, what happened with the fall too. Because if we go back, then it would just be us as Adam and Eve pre-fall. Yeah, I mean, effectively, there'd be no fall with yeah. universalistic system and um, us assuming we know better than God and us switching. We feel that salvation is um, justice when salvation technically speaking and romans 3 talks about the salvation's injustice salvation should not have occurred because god cannot bring sinful human beings into the presence of his holy presence right it is injustice which is why he had to with the god man jesus christ 
through him live the perfect life so that he can justify his decision to bring us into heaven. Because outside of that, salvation's injustice. Right. Because justly, under the circumstances, under the law, not a soul is allowed or is deserving of heaven. That's, that is an injustice against God. Yeah. And the justice is we should all be bound for wrath. And God, through Jesus Christ, made a way. And that's mercy. Yeah. Jesus experienced injustice, so we wouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, no, Jesus, yeah, Jesus experienced justice so that the unjust can experience justice. Right. Um, so did Jesus, did he not, with that said, did he not die for everyone? If not everyone will go to heaven, not everyone is going to be... Uh, <laughs> you're, you're asking me all the hard questions. <laughs> uh, so did he just die for the pre, did he just go the cross for the predestined elect saved people? Yeah. And they, I mean, again, we have to go back to scripture um, and we have to see the glory of God in what he has done. And I mean, I, I think it's, I think there's a couple places we can go. I think old Testament proves this too, where the sacrificial system was given for Israelites. Sacrificial system was not given for the sins of Israelites plus everybody outside of Israelites because Israelites lived within a group of people. There were people who surrounded them in um, like around the Mediterranean. And we have to look at that and see that the sins were um, expiated or they were um, done away with for a particular people in the Old Testament under the priest. And the same thing is talked about with Jesus. Jesus made atonement for his people. Talked about in Hebrews and then talked about in John. Um, where you have given me people, I have held them until the end, and I will give them to you, justified in your presence. And that's because those who he dies for are justified. And he justifies everybody. There is no way of getting around it. Logically, that's universalism. It's not, you must accept this justification as you are justified, therefore you will accept. Those are deep questions, <laughs> deep answers. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard. Like it literally goes against everything in our brains and everything yeah. in our hearts that we want to feel like we deserve more, but we don't. And it is mercy and is the highest gift possible because it was given when we said no. Yep. That's going back to true love um, from God. This is the only way he would be motivated to do it. Just yep. pure, true love. Um, in, the, in, the, in scripture, there's language that says dead in Christ. And that personally has confused me a lot. Because does that mean I am dead to him like i have no uh faith in him or is it the opposite where i'm dead on um i'm gonna be dead on earth and then i hmm. through him I, i've never been ever able to kind of yeah so I'd, I'd have to be i'd have to see the specific scripture references but the ones i have in my head I'm going to ballpark, I think, by, again, good necessary consequence through Scripture. So whenever that's used, it's usually by Paul. 
I'm right. gonna guess because he uses this phrase a lot. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, and as far as people that I've read can say, it is those pre-Christ who have died in Christ. It's like something like they will be risen again. Um, it's talked about in the end of John. It's talked about in Corinthians. It's talked about in Thessalonians. A um, couple other places. But I'm, I'm going to guess it's usually about saints who died pre-Christ who believe in the mediator to come. So they are truly like the dead ones in Christ that they will be raised up um, oh. once again. So it could be referring to that. So I think that's a way of interpreting that verse or interpreting those verses, or it's also those of us who will die in Christ will be raised in Christ. Those of us who, who die in Adam, who die of the earth will not be raised in Christ will die with the earth. Mm. So it could be his way of saying, um, you have been uh, unified. You have been in union with the one who has died and resurrected and those who die in Christ. So at the end, when we die, we have di died in Christ because he's yes. justified us. So either way, it sounds like more of a positive thing than... Yeah, yeah. I think we have to understand, again, context, context, context. Yeah. It's what is he speaking of? Who is he speaking to? And why is he speaking this way? Um, and it could be, yeah, either saints before Christ who are dead in Christ, who believed in the mediator to come, who is basically speaking like in the past tense, those who have died in Christ. And he could also be speaking in the future tense, those of you who will die in Christ, because when you're justified, that's not taken away. And that means at the end of your life, when you die, you have died in Christ. So you'll be raised with Christ. And then speaking of Paul, he does also say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. Oh, it's like going back to to die on earth is gain because you're going to be glorified. Yep. But to live is Christ because you're becoming more Christ-like through uh, sanctification. Yeah, yeah. And you're leading others to Christ in what you say as it relates to the truthfulness of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, God gives us the ability to know him, and it takes God to introduce God to us. It takes God for us to even have ability to feel faith in him and to know him and to believe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's been enlightening for me, and I'm sure enlightening for you. It's, it is not the intensity of our faith that saves us. It is the object of a tiny faith that saves us. And there are some with greater faith, um, more intense faith, but that's not what saves. What saves is the very presence, no matter how small, no matter how big of faith in Christ. That's what saves. Um, I found this, we're almost done. I do want to uh, give a little bit of a, read this from Mere Christianity from, by C.S. Lewis, uh, when it's talking about actually clearly salvation is in the, the Bible is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which looks as if everything depended on us and our good actions, but for it is God who works in you, which looks as if God did everything and we are doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then my just kind of notes on that was God because in human form became Jesus so that we as humans can become like Jesus. Yeah. He makes us 
like Jesus in heaven. We are in Jesus right now because of his obedience on our behalf. Cool. So to wrap this up, uh, final question, how could you take this theme and uh, concisely explain the gospel to it? Yeah, like we, we've said to wrap it up is salvation is the obedience of Jesus under the law given to us through the spirit by the plan of god uh, it is not of our doing it is not the intensity it is not the quantity it is not the um it is not even the duration how hard and how long we have that faith it's if we have that faith no matter what that is what justifies us so it's not you have to move mountains you have to believe enough you have to believe hard enough it is the very presence of belief is what saves because salvation is not a decision. Salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ in the flesh, dying for us, obeying for us, living the life we couldn't so that we can be given that record and be in the presence of a holy God. That's salvation. Amen. Cool. And that's the gospel. Yep, that is. Um, we hope that you guys enjoyed this. It answered some questions. I know it was a, it was a more of a deep discussion one. Um, yeah. But we want to be really honest with these questions, uh, both personally and just knowing, we're just really addressing them head on. So uh, hopefully you guys can go in and subscribe to us on uh, your listening platforms and give us good ratings and comments. So, uh, and then follow us on Instagram too. Yeah. Reach out if you guys have any questions. Um, if you guys need help finding a church, whatever it may be, we want to be a resource to you. Um, give us any feedback and we just want to see the word proclaimed as much and as often as possible and that it's not you, it's God. Cool. Well, uh, thank you everybody and peace out.